0: please pray with me. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. This morning, I pray you'd penetrate, penetrate the hearts of everyone here, including mine, so that we can understand our need for you and your salvation daily in our lives. We could live out our sanctification with your help. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I decided to come down from the mountain for this talk. Uh, I thought it'd be more appropriate just some of the things I'm going to be talking about today. I'm glad you all made it. As Greg said, uh, crazy weather out there. Uh, but, uh, it's good to have many of you all here this morning. I want to ask you a question to start out. Has anybody ever here struggled with pride in their life? You're like, no, not me. Well, uh, I have. And let me tell you a story that will kind of set up what I'm going to talk about. Um, after college, uh, several years after college, I worked at an a- Episcopal church as a youth minister. And uh, it was our first big mission trip. We went to Colorado and we had a couple other churches joining us. And my brother was from Colorado and I had been there a, a few times. And one of the other uh, youth ministers from the other church, she had lived in Colorado so we kind of had this battle going on the week about who knew more about Colorado during the week. And uh, I think the battle was really only me in my mind. She was completely fine. But uh, I was uh, when we tried to make decisions about where we were going to go on trips, I was I would say one way. She would say the other. And it was always I lived here. I know this is best. And so I was bucking this and bucking this. And finally, we went up to Buena Vista, Colorado to go whitewater rafting on the way down. I said, I got the directions home. I know this. My brother lives in Colorado. <laughs> so anyway, I fought it. We had these rental vans, right? You know, and I said, I know the fastest way. And keep in mind, we didn't have cell phones back then. We uh, just, well, we did, but they didn't give us GPS or anything like that. And we had some printed out maps that weren't very good. And so I decided to take the path of least resistance, which unfortunately, as a bird fly flies, it would have been great. But uh, as far as a van goes through the mountain pass like this, it was not so great for all the passengers. A matter of fact, several people got uh, uh, visibly sick. Many, almost everybody had altitude sickness because we were going so quickly down this mountain pass. And then uh, most people were green, nauseous, and very frustrated for this trip that should have only taken about an hour and a half and took about two and a half hours <laughs> as uh, we followed my way. You see, I hated to admit it, but my pride... Had got in my way my pride had uh, said I know what's best even though if I was honest This other lady knew a lot better than me. She had actually lived in Colorado, right? So I think if we're all honest We all struggle with pride It gets in the way and it has caused many of us emotional social and even sometimes physical anguish by our decisions And uh, the choices we've made when we let pride get in the way and I'm not talking about pride in work. It's good to have pride in our work and what we do. I'm talking about the bad kind of pride, as I said before, the kind of pride that says, I know best, I know better than you. See, this pride is no uh, is not some modern invention. It goes back to the original sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, where they decided that God did not know best. They listened to the devil's lie, and they decided that they wanted to be gods themselves. They knew best. St. Augustine says it this way. Pride is the commencement of all sins because it was this which overthrew the devil from whom arose the origin of sin. And afterwards, when his malice and envy pursued man who was yet standing in his uprightness, it subverted him in the same way in which he himself fell. For the serpent, serpent, in fact, only sought for the door of pride whereby to enter when he said, ye shall be as God's. So the question for us all is, well, how do we avoid pride? Is there like a pride prevention manual that we can do that can help us out this morning? Well, if we look in our world, I mean, we live in the information age, right? You can go online, and I'm sure you can find 10 ways to not have pride in your life. And there's plenty of experts and, uh, in and every kind of field imaginable. We can even ask Siri, I guess, who knows what uh, she might say. But uh, when it comes to spiritual matters, this very important thing of pride, of original sin... Who do we go to? And yet in our readings today, smack down in the middle between the Old and New Testament, as we enter into the New Testament, there is this figure, this person, John the Baptist, wearing camel hair. I don't even know what that looks like. It doesn't sound comfortable. Eating honey, living out in the desert, and people were coming to him. And his message, I want you to hear this, was not you're okay, I'm okay, let's just be kind to one another. No, his message was, you need to repent from your sins. Salvation is coming. I'm not okay, you're not okay. We need help. Now, this is not a popular message, because most of us want to be in control. But the good news this morning is, we have a solution to that problem. And many of us as seasoned Christians understand this, but we need to be reminded. That's kind of why we're going back to the basics this morning. And in this season of Lent, if you're not familiar, as Greg was uh, telling you about the church calendar last week, I'm not sorry, Lent, Advent, Greg was like, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) In this season of Advent, as we're getting ready for Christmas, this is a season of preparation, of preparing our heart for the coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, he is the solution to our sin problem. John the Baptist was like that parade that was coming, that was announcing that the show was coming, that the solution was found, the salvation was found in this person of Jesus Christ. So before we get into this good news of Jesus Christ, we need to talk a little bit about this sin, this problem. You see... We can't get fixed. We can't ultimately deal with this pride if we don't understand that we personally have a problem. We can't just say, oh, that's just other people. The Bible makes it very clear. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what actually is sin? Is it just one of those religious words we throw out there, maybe doing bad things, but we don't quite grasp the seriousness of it? Well, years ago, somebody decided to interview a bunch of six, seven, eight year olds, because who better to tell us what sin is than that age? Because they're so honest, right? So here's a few of their several of them, what they had to say. This kid, David, who was eight years old at the time, said sin is doing something real bad, like sticking my gum on the table or under a chair. Rhonda, who was seven, said, well, kicking your brother is a little mistake, but kicking a dog. Now, that's a sin. I love this one. Very specific. Sin is flooding the bathroom and painting pictures with the toothpaste and dumping powder all over, said Tanya, age six. (laughs) Sounds like some personal experience there. (laughs) A sin is what gets you into more trouble than you know what to do with, said Beth, age six. Sounds like a pretty well thought out. I love this one. A sin is what you do before your mother spanks you. And here's just a a, a couple more. Well, sin is a bad mistake, says Wilson, age six. Like when I pick a fight with my brother, he's older and bigger than me. So if I pick a fight with him, that's a sin because I've made a bad mistake. (laughs) And finally, David. Well, there are these two kids down the street, says David, age six, Stephen and Nathan. And they're bullies and they're bad all the time. If you want to know what sin is, you ought to go talk to them. You know, what these little children were really talking about is the symptoms of a much bigger problem. And it all goes back to that original sin of pride, thinking I know better, I know best. In Romans 6.23, it says there's incredible consequences when we do this. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah, the prophet, uh, says this, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As I said before, it's affected us all. It impacted us. Sin has distorted our lives, has not made us be who Jesus has called us to be. A couple weeks ago, I preached on who's on your throne. And so often it's easy to say, oh, yeah, God's on my throne. But yet so often we want to be in control. We want to call the shots. We let pride get in the way. Well, as I said earlier, John the Baptist was preparing people 2,000 years ago, and he's preparing us and reminding us who know the rest of the story that salvation has come and the importance of repenting and turning our life around so that we can see God. He says at the very end of the of, when he read from Isaiah, he said, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So step one for us to understand and deal with this, and for some of you, all this may be review, but to me, I find it a good reminder. You see, repenting means to turn, to admit that we can't do life on our own, to say that we need a savior. We need somebody that knows best, and that is not us. You see, forgiveness cannot occur unless we accept responsibility and realize that we have this problem. One of the most helpful examples that I... I've uh, found over the years, and I think I've even used it in here maybe five or six years ago on a youth Sunday, was showing you this Nerf ball right here. Imagine this is your life from zero when you're born till right now, and this is what your life is supposed to look like. What pride does, what that big sin does, is we grip our lives and we contort it and twist it so we don't even look like what we were supposed to be. It dehumanizes us. It doesn't even resemble what God had in mind when he created us. And what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins, when he rose from the dead and conquered death, he said, trust me, put your faith in me, allow my grip to shape your life. He wants us to let go so he can bring us back into the shape that he designed us to. So that we can understand that we belong to him and we are best, not when we are in our own hands, contorting things and distorting our life through this pride, but allowing him to bring it back to the right shape. It took me a while to find one of those Nerf balls, by the way. They don't sell them anymore like they used to. You see. Uh, following Christ. As Eric Metaxas said in his book, is helping us to see ourselves for who we are so that we might at last begin the process of becoming who we were meant to be all along, said Metaxas in one of his books. In other words, when we recognize that we're sinner, that we need God. And even for us who are uh, maybe be believers this morning, which are many of us here I know, it's a reminder to let go, to continue to allow God's grip, to not try to grab that ball again and contort it to take control of our lives. So this process, which I want to focus on next for us to live out this salvation that John the Baptist had talked about, is this great big theological word called sanctification, which I like to say is living into your salvation. And I want to remind us about several things about what that looks like for us. First of all, it's a reminder that we put our trust and belief in Christ that we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Jesus was the new Adam. You think of the creation in Genesis that got all messed up from pride. Jesus came as the new Adam to set things right once and for all on the cross. And that all of us can have access to that new creation when we put our trust in Christ. The second thing when we uh, start living into the sanctification that we're reminded of is not only that we are a new creation, that we belong to him, but that we are, uh, Paul uses this metaphor of adoption. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For God did not re- for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very Spirit bearing witness With our spirit, and I love this part, that we are children of God. When we put our belief, I love that metaphor of an adoption. There's a permanence, there's a security to that when we put our trust in Christ, that he's going to grow us into his own. So besides this new creation and adoption, uh, the other thing, when we really understand this, when we understand our identity and adoption, we begin to act like Christ because he fills us with his Holy Spirit, It's kind of like some people, when they, you know, especially spouses, as they get older, they start to look like each other. They start to walk like each other and talk like each other. Maybe we've seen that with friends or colleagues. We spend enough time of them. We have the same sayings. Some people even look like their pets after a while. As the Holy Spirit sanctifies us as we're believers, as we stay incorporated into this family, we begin to resemble Christ. We begin to think and act the way he did. They called the, uh, the Christians little Christ because they so much acted like him. Their lives reflected who he was because they had seen him. And the same for us as Christians. When we understand that Jesus has died for us, that he saved us, and we start living into that salvation, we see him more and more acting in our life. We feel the Holy Spirit's presence We start to behave and act like him through all the different situations in life. Finally, this last part of sanctification is action. With his mannerisms and as we start to act like Christ, we start acting in very tangible ways to share this good news with the world. We can't keep it in. The apostles who had seen the risen Jesus could not hide it. They had to share this good news with all they met. Paul writes in Romans about this charge for all of us to share the message. He says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells him? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers. Who bring good news? You and I are the messengers. It's not just the priest, the clergy. All of us are called to be messengers of this good news, to tell people about the salvation we received, to tell people how the grip of God has changed our lives. It has changed from this contorted uh, image we had of ourselves and the destruction to allowing God to reshape us. All of us have a story to tell. To everybody we meet, James says, faith without works is dead. True religion is taking care of orphans and widows. And yes, we are about social action too. But the reason we're about social action is because we understand this grace and love we've received from Christ. So we can't bear to see people who are alone, who are struggling. We want to help and share the good news and help people in tangible ways. And most importantly, at the same time, helping them in spiritual ways so they could see their savior. They could understand the salvation has taken away this problem of pride that we all struggle with. So this morning, I know you all are in different places. We have many seasoned believers here, but I know we have some skeptics. I know some of you, just like all of us from time to time, have had times of doubt in our faith and. Maybe we're really struggling, have a lot of questions, or just not quite there with the God stuff. Well, I want to challenge you this Advent season to seek the Lord. Seek him through prayer, read the scripture, talk to friends who are further along, ask them, uh, how do I know Christ? And I can tell you a simple way how you can start that relationship this morning if you don't have it. Just like the Nerf ball, it's that admit, believe, submit. Understanding that you can't do life on your own, that you have this pride problem. That's the way to start. And for us who are seasoned believers, it's a reminder. Are we letting God have that grip on our lives? Are we continually trying to put our hands back in there and control all these different areas? Whether it's our children, our finances, our health, maybe other areas that we're scared or concerned about. And we're like, no, I got this, God. I can take it. I know the best way down this mountain. It's like, no, you don't. You need the Lord's help in your life. How else do you do this? You know, Greg talks a lot uh, to Vestry and other people about the importance of having daily time with God. Some people call it a quiet time, a devotion time. You can call it a talking to God time. Just praying, reading scriptures, making a habit to that. If you know the Lord, he's going to remind you over and over again who you belong to. He's going to continue to fill the Holy Spirit in you. So you'll know how to walk and how to go out with all kinds of situations that are challenging to you. We're crazy not to take advantage of this great offer he has of personal intimacy with him that we can do every morning. Finally, for us as a church, it's a reminder. That we need to be people that are about sharing God's salvation with everybody we meet. If we're just here to show people our nice building uh, or our fellowship hall, that's fine and all, but that's not our ultimate call. Our ultimate call is to tell people our story about the hope we have. We have a broken world that needs healing. Pride is everywhere. We know we still struggle with our own lives, but we're reminded that we have somebody that's taking care of that. And if you're unsure that this is still your call, let me remind you what... uh, uh In the Great Commission in Luke, the same gospel read from said the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. Now, yes, he was talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to us, our personal experience with Christ, of us knowing Christ. We're to share that. I know for many of us this could be back to the basics, but I think we all need to go back to the basics. We need to be reminded that God needs to have the grip on our lives. He knows us. He designed us. He loves us. Trust Him. Take away your grip. Whatever it areas, area it is that you're trying to hold on to, allow Him to shape you. I wanted to end with two things. I wanted to end with a scripture that I've ended before with in sermons. But I love this verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 1 through 3, or 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the God hand of the throne of God throw off the sin that so easily tangles identify yourself with Christ be adopted into his family live that out through sanctification by sharing this message with everyone you meet I'm going to finish with one more thing and we're going to say this at the end of the service and for some of you this is your favorite part of the liturgy but I want to read you a few lines from the post communion prayer, which really sums up what this last part of my sermon, Sanctification, is. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Living members. This isn't something for when you die. This isn't just fire insurance. I got the salvation thing going for me. Now I can do whatever I want. You are living members. And finally, at the end of the prayer, It says, send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. We're going to say that again before we leave. But it's a reminder that we're supposed to go out and share and serve. I know many of you all do this in your lives, but we all need encouragement to keep going. We all need a reminder that we're sinners in need of a savior. We all need to be reminded of what Christ did on the cross and as we're reminding, we're preparing for Christmas, it reminds us how special and how amazing it is that God became one of us in the, incarnation, in the incarnation and walked among us, died for us so we could have access to God, and rose from the dead so death will not have the final word for any of us who put our faith and trust in him. Let us pray. Lord, it's a humbling message anytime we talk about sin and pride because. We all struggle with this, but we thank you that you took care of the big sin on the cross. You set things right and you've called us to believe and trust in you to take our hand, our grip off our lives and allow you to guide us, fill us all with your Holy Spirit. For those who have doubts this morning, I pray they would uh, continue to go to you with questions and with others to know that you love them and that you made them remind us all this as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.